Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Well, it's time for the Word, and I'm going to begin a new series this week, two parts, two questions that God asked of people. But let's pray, and we'll look at the first question in just a moment. Come, let's open our hearts to God today. Father, we pray that just like the children of Israel, that you would feed us like you gave them manna from heaven. You fed them with heavenly food. Would you feed us today? You gave them water from the rock and that rock was Christ. Would you refresh us today? Speak into the hearts and lives of people, nourish them and refresh them and inspire them. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin today, the first question that the Lord asked of Jeremiah is, what do you see? And that's my question to you today. But before we read the text from Jeremiah, I was reading about a Turkish artist by the name of Esref Amagan, and he was born blind, but not only born blind, born without eyeballs. Yet he is a remarkable artist, and he paints these three-dimensional landscapes, even though he's never seen them in his life. And uh, scientists are baffled by this artist from Ankara, in Turkey because he's never seen things with his physical eyes because he doesn't have any, but he sees them in his mind's eye. So it becomes very apparent that we are very fearfully and wonderfully made because not only do we have sight that we see with our physical eyes, but we have two types of sight where we see with our spirit. You've heard people say, I can see in my mind's eye. That means I can see with something other than my physical eyes. And uh, that's why the Apostle Paul actually prayed for the church not to only see with their physical eyes, but to see with their spirits and their spiritual eyes. Notice this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's the crux. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Your heart has eyes. And he says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He prays for more than natural sight. He prays for insight, but he prays for spiritual insight. You see, the big issue here is we need to see as God sees. God doesn't just see what physical eyes see. He sees deeper than that. He sees beyond that. And in the Old Testament, we are warned about our sight because sight can deceive you. That's why it says, hear, O Israel. Not look, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Because when you see things, you can be deceived. Don't forget, it was Eve who saw the fruit, that it was good for food. And as a result of her physical sight, she didn't see as God saw, and she took what she saw with her physical eyes. It's so important for us to see as God sees. Now, here's this question that God asked Jeremiah. What do you see? You know, when God asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know. He's checking to see if we can see what he says. So let's read the text here, Jeremiah chapter one and verse 11. And it says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. In other words, Jeremiah, what do you see? Yes, you're seeing what I see. You're seeing what I'm doing. And then it goes on to say, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. 
It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdom, declares the Lord. And so God is asking, what do you see? And then when he tells the Lord what he sees, the Lord says, you're right. You're seeing what I'm doing. You're seeing as I'm seeing. And that is very good because I'm sending you to accomplish a task I need you to see as I see. You know, today, more than ever, we have to begin to see as God sees. You know, people are saying to us, see it my way, from my perspective. No, 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 we have to see as God sees, otherwise we will change our values and we will change the way we operate. And the Lord asked the same question of Amos, of Zechariah, and he's asking it of us today. Because you see, truth is not just a matter of perspective. Truth is a matter of God's will. Edward de Bono, who was a psychologist, an author, an inventor and philosopher said this. He said, most of the mistakes in thinking are inadequacies of perception rather than mistakes of logic. It's the way we see things that cause us to make mistakes in life. So let me give you four things today that will help us in the way we see. And the first one is very practical for what we're facing right now. And, and, and it's this, what we see will determine how we react to challenges. What we see will determine how we react to challenges. Jeremiah saw what God was showing him, so he was able to respond to the challenge of judgment on Israel correctly because he knew all along God is doing this. And because he could see like God saw, he wasn't phased by the hardships, the torture that he personally went through, the difficulties he faced because he had seen as God sees. And when you and I face challenges, we have to see as God sees. You'll remember when Israel was going through the wilderness, all they saw was a wilderness. They saw thorns, they saw dry ground, they saw barrenness, they saw emptiness, but God saw a paradise, the promised land. All Israel saw as well was their past, but God saw their future where he was taking them. As a result, they could not persevere and move through their challenges because they could not see as God saw. And if today you're seeing only dryness and barrenness and, and, and it's taking a long time to get to where you wanna go and all you can think about is going back to your old life, well, you can't see as God sees. That's why you can't persevere through your challenges. And sometimes when there are obstacles and there are barriers, we don't see as God sees. Now, it's very interesting when the children of Israel came to the city of Jericho, which was the first city that Joshua would lead them to conquer, the book of Joshua chapter six and verse one says this, now Jericho was tightly shut up. And then it says this, and the Lord said, see, I have given you the city. You see, when you see as God sees, you don't see obstacles, closed doors, barriers and limitations. You see what God's telling you. You see beyond the physical limitations. And when you can see beyond physical limitations, you can fight, you can persevere, and you can get through your challenges. And so it's so important that we see as God sees. And the question today is, what do you see? Do you see all that you see on television, or the newspapers, or online news, or Instagram? Or do you see what God sees? Because you're looking through the lens of the spirit, not through the lens of the flesh. The Bible reminds us that when Israel went through the wilderness, Moses was able to keep going. Uh, they weren't, but Moses was because he saw what they couldn't see. 
The book of Hebrews reminds us of it in chapter 11 and verse 27. And it says, by faith, speaking of Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, kept going, because he saw him who is invisible. You see, he saw something more than hardship, limitations, lack of water, lack of food. He saw God, he saw the promised land, he saw what God had said, and so he was able to keep going. If you're going to get through challenges as a business person, you're gonna be successful in your life, you've gotta see what other people don't see. You've gotta see as God sees. Now the author, Dennis Waitley, has written a number of books on success, and I found it interesting that he spoke about prosperity. And he said there are three Ps to prosperity. Perspective, purpose, and perseverance. So the first thing is you need to see, then you need to have a purpose when you're seen, and then you need to persevere to what you're seeing and to the purpose that you have. He says not many people see everything around them, and few are acute observers of the environment. In fact, most of us see just enough to prevent us from falling. He goes on to say, that kind of seeing is a safety device. Real seeing requires the use of your mind's eye and making connections with a world that is beyond the physical. You call it seeing with your soul. The big question today is, what do you see? Are you seeing with your flesh? Are you seeing with your physical eyes? Or are you seeing with your soul? Israel could not see with their soul. So they entered limitations and they faced obstacles that they couldn't see beyond. But Moses didn't only have physical sight, he saw beyond. And so it's so important for us to see as God sees because it will determine how we react to challenges. Get into the word and begin to see through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of the Lord. Now we get to some meaty stuff today, important stuff number two. We have to see God's values as God sees them. You see, God has values, moral principles and truth that he sees that he wants us to see the same way. We can't say, well, I don't see it like that. From my perspective, no, no, we have to see God's values as God sees them. We can't see it as popular culture does or as the media presents it or as most people see it, we have to see it as God's word sees it. God's values are not adjustable, they're not negotiable, and they're not optional. And we have to see them as the truth, not a truth. So many people see God's word as a truth, another one of many. No, it's the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, let me remind you, the scripture says, all scripture is God-breathed. That includes the Old Testament. You see, you can think the New Testament is relevant, especially for the Christian, no? All scripture is God-breathed, comes from the mouth of God, by the Spirit of God, and so we have to take it seriously. It needs to be believed and needs to be respected. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse two, the Lord tells us how he feels about people who honor his word and his values. He says, these are the ones I look on with favor those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God loves those who love his values and see things as he sees them. And you'll remember in the New Testament, when the Pharisees arrested the disciples for preaching, they asked them, on what authority 
are you preaching? And who gives you the right? And they were amazed at what they were saying. But bear in mind, some of them were fishermen and they were not preaching their opinions. They were not preaching popular culture. They were speaking God's values and they were seeing things and preaching things as God sees them. This is what the Pharisees and the chief priests said of the disciples in the book of Acts, chapter four and verse 13. It says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. You know, sometimes when people see our boldness, they can take it as arrogance. No, they, they were bold, why? Because they weren't speaking on their own authority. And it says here, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Here were men who didn't have special training. All they did was they saw things as God saw them and they spoke the word of God with clarity and without compromise, even though they were arrested and even beaten. We have to see things from God's perspective. We have to see his values as he sees them. We have to see through the lens of the spirit, not through the lens of the flesh. Now, when it comes to things like sexuality and even abortion, many people today are wanting us to change our minds as Christians. They want us to see it from their point of view, but we have to see it from God's point of view. We have to say, now I see it as God sees it. I'm sorry that you think I'm being rather bold and maybe you think I'm being arrogant, but I want to see as God sees, because he's asking me, what do you see in scripture concerning these matters? Do you see as I see? Or are you beginning to start seeing as culture sees, which is usually convenient. It's adjusting the truth and it's not sticking to God's values. And when the Bible talks about these matters, we've got to take them to heart. You know, it's amazing to me how people get so angry about abortion. They get all worked up. But when you read the Bible, it's very clear. And actually, when you talk to people, funny enough, they contradict themselves. When a woman falls pregnant and she's like two weeks or three weeks pregnant, she doesn't say, hi, I've got a fetus in me. She immediately says, I'm having a baby. Yet, a couple of weeks later, when her or her boyfriend or her husband decide, no, this is inconvenient, suddenly they call it a fetus. It's very convenient. I'm having a baby, but when I want to get rid of it, I immediately change my perspective, and now I call it a fetus. No, no, it's a baby from the beginning. Its heart begins beating in the womb, and we must see it as God sees it. And God sees a baby in the womb as a living being. We've got to see as God sees concerning these matters and not see them in our own eyes. The whole thing of sexuality is as God sees it. Genders, God created male and female. If you decide you see yourself a certain way or you see certain people a certain way, it doesn't change the truth. It's a perspective we have to see as God sees because he is the author of creation and we have to look at everything from his perspective. Today, we are no longer seeing truth. We're feeling truth. Everything is governed by how we feel about a matter. So when we see someone who is different, we say, well, shame. Rather than showing you know, respect, we need to say, sorry, we don't feel the same way because we first decide on truth and we see things from God's perspective then we allow our feelings to come into it. And we have to decide that we're not gonna tolerate things in our lives that are not God's will. Psalm 101 and verse three says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worth worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. 
We have to be pretty firm about what we will have in our lives and how we will look at things. Doesn't matter what other people do, but as Christians, we have to see God's values as God sees them. I love what uh, the late Walter E. Williams said in his book, All It Takes Is Guts. He said, how does something immoral when done privately become moral when it's done collectively? Furthermore, does legality establish morality? Slavery was legal, apartheid was legal, Stalinist, Nazi, and most purgers were legal. Clearly the fact of legality does not justify these crimes. Legality alone cannot be the talisman of moral people. You see, what determines whether something's right or wrong is what God says and how God sees it. And I know today people say, oh, well, you, you don't pick on the sins of other people. Why don't you pick on people in your own church who are committing adultery? Well, what I usually find with people in our church who commit adultery is usually they're embarrassed by it. They're sorry for it, uh, but they don't ask us to justify it. But whenever something is asked to be justified, we have to say, sorry, we can't justify it because we can't see it as God sees it. We have to see things as God sees them. So legality is clearly not the thing that defines sin and God's values. The word of God is. And that's why we have church. Church is not just there to soothe us and to make us successful. Church is there for training in righteousness, for us to grow in the things of God and to see as God sees. And even in the Old Testament, we're warned about the chaos when we don't see as God sees and when we're not trained in righteousness. Let me remind you in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse eight, you're not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit. You can't just choose your own way of seeing things. You've got to do what God says and see it as he sees it. In Judges chapter 17, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, you can't just develop your own perspective because the reason why we have church today and people say, oh, you pick on people, you pick on, on those and, 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 and why are you so anti and it's hate speech. Now, let me just remind you what the church is actually about. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, and I've quoted some of it already. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, watch this, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So when we rebuke and we correct and we train in righteousness, we're not attacking any particular group. It's not hate speech. It's what pastors should do, helping people to see as God sees. Otherwise, what is church for? We just get together, we avoid anything that is going to offend anybody, and we don't see as God sees. No, church is not just meant for success. It's not just meant for soothing. It's meant for guiding people and helping them see through the scriptures what God sees and then bringing their lives in line, not doing as we see fit each one of us making our own decision. You know, Paul had a problem, and we're seeing this in the church world today. He had Christians, people who said they were Christians, but they had a different way of seeing things. And that's what we're seeing more and more happening today. People say, I'm a Christian, but I don't agree. And I don't think the Bible means. And I want to read you this verse here because this is not a new challenge that we're facing. It's a perspective challenge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you find these, these church goes, if you like, from the Greek culture who are wanting Paul to adopt their view of sexuality. And he says here, you're looking at the outward appearance of things. Is there someone there who reckons himself or herself to belong to Christ? 
Well, let them think again about themselves because we belong to Christ just as much as they do. See, you can, you can be a Christian and you can have your own version of the Bible, your own version of the truth. And Paul's saying, hey, it doesn't mean because you're a Christian, you're right. He says, of course, we would not dare to classify ourselves or compare ourselves with those who rate themselves so highly. In other words, their opinion supersedes the Apostle Paul's. He says how stupid they are. They make up their own standards to measure themselves by and they judge themselves by their own standards. They're Christians, but they've got their own perspective, the way they see sexuality, the way they see abortion, the way they see truth, the way they decide what's right and wrong and what must be done. Now they suddenly decide, this is the way I see it, and then they want everyone else to fit in with them. And Paul says, no, that's not the true faith. You've got to be very careful the way you see things. You see, here's the thing. What you believe is the way you will live, and the way you see things will depend on what you worship. I found it amazing today that the modern environmentalist movement, you know, let's just for a moment look aside at the good they do. They actually worship animals. For them to eat meat or kill an animal is worse than committing adultery. That's where our world has got to. We protect birds and we care more about birds than we do about the unborn because the way you see things determines what you will worship. You'll remember when Israel left Egypt, they left in order to worship the Lord and the Bible makes it clear that they took with them animals that they would offer as burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses makes it very clear in the book of Exodus chapter eight, he says we need to go three days journey into the wilderness because if we offer these animals as burnt sacrifices, the Egyptians will stone us. Well, why would they stone them? You see, the Egyptians worshiped those animals that they would sacrifice on the altar. And that's the same with Christianity today. That which we would give up and sacrifice and consider good enough for the fire, other people are worshiping. That's why on Instagram, you're gonna get regularly stoned. And on Twitter, you'll be stoned because you worship and you see things differently to other people. But I wanna be a person who sees God's values as God sees them. Now let's move to number three, because these next two are incredibly important. Stay with me here and concentrate with me. Number three, we need to see people as God sees them. See people as God sees them. R.C. Sproul wrote an incredibly good book called Are People Basically Good? And I'm gonna quote from it a few times. He says, one theologian has said that how human beings understand their own existence determines how they think, how they behave, and the type of culture that they produce. Thus, the culture that we live in is a product of our understanding of what it means to be human. You see, most people today don't see people as God sees them. Most people believe that people are basically good. Man is good, babies are born good. And so if you change their environment, you change the political system, you change the economic system, then you won't have any crime, you won't have any rape, you won't have any stealing because it's external things that cause man to do what he does. And so we have an over-reliance of, of uh, political systems, the over-reliance on secular things instead of realizing no man isn't basically good, he is a sinner for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter three and verse 23. And when we understand that we won't have a romantic view 
of people. We'll see people as God sees them and we will relate to them as God relates to them. That's why people are experiencing such disappointment. They choose friends and then their friends let them down. Why? They had a wrong view of people. They marry someone. Why? Because they only look on the external. They see someone beautiful, then they marry them. Then afterwards they are shocked that the person could be angry or the person could have faults. Why? Because they have a wrong view of people. When you have a wrong view of people and you don't see people as God sees them, you will make wrong choices in your life and we will have a wrong culture and a wrong way of responding to our problems. There was a man that couldn't see at all that came to Jesus and Jesus laid his hands on him and he got his partial sight back in the book of Mark chapter 8. And I want to read to you what happened here. The man had the hands laid on him and then it says, he looked up and said, I see people they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. You see, how we see is all important and we need our sight fully restored so that we have a good perspective of human nature and human beings. We see them as God sees them. We will be less disappointed. We will make right decisions and we won't advocate wrong ideas about solving our problems in the world we live in. You'll remember when Jesse's sons were brought before Samuel for them to be anointed. The scripture tells us in 1 Samuel that when Samuel saw the oldest one, Eliab, he said this, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Why? He was the oldest, he was the tallest, he was the strongest. But the Lord makes it clear by saying to Samuel, do not look on the outward appearance, for man looks on the outward but God looks on the heart. We need to see the heart of people and what people are really like, then we will make good decisions and we will make the right calls. If you're dating someone, you mustn't believe that they're essentially good. If you do, you're being naive and you're setting yourself up for disappointment and for heartache. And too many people are looking at the personality of a person instead of the character and values when they, make, when they build relationships and when they develop friendships. We must have a biblical view of human nature. And you'll know what happens to you when you begin to think that people are actually essentially good. And, and let me just say this before I get there. Babies are born good, that's what people say, but it's the environment and it's their parents that, no, 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 no baby is born good. The Bible teaches that we are born in sin because of Adam and Eve's sin. And that our sin is inherent in us when we're born. You'll notice as soon as a child can sit up and walk around or, or move around, they begin to take things and cry and demand and, and be unreasonable because it's not the environment that's done it. It's not the parents that have done it. It's in the nature of a child to do that. And that's why we need guidance. We need correction. We need, we need laws. We need things that limit the sinfulness of human beings. And uh, you know, the more you think you're good, the less you will need training. Today, most schools don't focus on ethics or morals. They don't want religion in schools anymore. We just want to focus on academics. We just want to teach you how to be successful. And as a result, we have more and more corruption across our world. Why? Because man is not essentially good and he doesn't just need education. Even pastors and leaders, if you keep telling them how good they are, you're amazing, you're anointed, 
And people who are high profile, all they told is that they're good. They stop working on their behavior. They stop working on their character. And we see big falls taking place across the world with prominent names. It's a natural result of thinking that you're good. Politicians are told how amazing they are. People support them and march for them and promote them and put their pictures on their t-shirts and they're told how good they are. They start to think they're actually perfect and good and then they end up in corruption, stealing people's money and being involved in things that damage the country. We've got to be very careful how we view human nature, otherwise we will deal with things incorrectly. And it's in a person's life where the problems are, not externally. You can't solve everything by changing economic systems. You can't solve everything by changing inequality. You know, if people weren't rich, then others wouldn't steal. No, rich people steal too. Just look at all the great uh, uh, stories of people who, who, who had pyramid schemes. They had masses of wealth, yet they wanted more. It's because of the sin in the heart of man. And we need to be reminded that Jesus teaches us about this. So stay with me here because I'm gonna to get to another very important point when I come to number four. But Jesus speaking here in Mark chapter seven, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees were talking about how important it was to wash your hands before you ate. And, and Jesus contradicted that. He said, no, no, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly comes out of your heart. In fact, it says in Proverbs that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So we've got foolishness in us right from early on. He says all these evils come from inside and defile a person. They don't come from the culture. It's not the problem of the culture that we have to deal with. It's not laws that are gonna change it. Is we need Jesus in our lives. We need God's laws in our schools and we need the church to uphold God's values and to see things as he sees them which will change lives. Again, R.C. Sproul in his book says this, the portrait that we get in the scriptures of man in his fallen condition is that he is utterly and thoroughly infected by sin in his whole person. In other words, sin is not an external blemish, but something that goes to the very core of our being. You see, if you think it's, it's not in us, then you will think external forces can solve it. But when you realize it's in us, then it means our hearts need changing and we need to deal with the issues on the inside. Gender-based violence. We think that by going on the streets and protesting and marching, that, that can make people aware of the problem, but you can't change the heart of a person unless you deal with their attitudes and you train them in righteousness and you get them to see people through God's eyes. You get them to see God's values as God sees them. Then you start to deal with the heart of man. And when you change the heart, you can change your life, you can change your community and you can change your culture. A lot of the problems we've got in the world today will never be solved because we don't see as God sees. We need to see God's values as God sees them and we need to see people as God sees them. And once we embark on that, then we can begin to teach and train people and we can move people forward. Dennis Prager is a Jewish author and he said this, he said, the belief that people are basically good is one of the most widely held beliefs in contemporary society, yet it is both untrue and destructive. 
You see, church, it's so important as we come to number four today. If we have a wrong view of people, this is what will happen. Watch this, number four. Seeing people as good means they don't need salvation or church. If people are basically good, why do we bother preaching the gospel? Why did God send his most precious son if people are basically good? If people are basically good, well, that's why in schools, they consider children are basically good. So we'll just teach them about the environment. We'll just teach them about maths and science. We'll just teach them how to be successful, but we'll never deal with the moral problems that lurk in the hearts of children and teenagers. And so salvation becomes irrelevant because why would Jesus come to die for sin if there's no such thing as personal sin? Why do we bother to preach? What is the point? There is no point. So everything becomes nonsensical when we don't see as God sees. Jesus came into the world to die for personal sin because we are personal sinners in need of a savior. And we have to see as God sees. Jesus didn't come to change systems. He didn't gather 12 disciples and then train them in social issues. Okay, you go and deal with, with poor, you go and deal with single mothers, and you go and deal with uh, inequality, and you go and deal with racism in Samaria. No, no, no. He didn't send them out to deal with social issues. He came to gather them to preach the gospel of salvation in Christ because every person needs redeeming from their sin personal sinful behavior. That's why God has given us laws. And you know, churches that preach against law, oh, we don't follow the law, we're not under the law. Laws are there to regulate human behavior so that we get a better society. And so the church doesn't throw law away. We're not justified by law, but we certainly are regulated by law. Any culture that is regulated by law is well run, orderly, and excellent. Just go to Singapore. They have different religions, but they have laws that regulate the people for the benefit of everyone. So God's laws and Jesus as savior is because essentially human beings are not good and no system can change that. And so we need to realize that even though there are laws sometimes, the heart of a person is what is corrupt and Jesus came to change our hearts. Systems can be in place, but when you have a changed heart, you don't live according to the system. You'll remember in, during the Second World War, people saved Jews, even though there was Nazi rule and you could be put to death. Why? Because their hearts had another value system to the system that they were under. During apartheid, there were white people who were anti-apartheid. They went contrary to the law. Why? Because they had a heart that was different. They saw people through God's eyes and they valued people. They didn't just obey the law. So it's so important today for us not to rely on political systems to bring about an ideal world. That's why there's so much anger. And I've said this repeatedly in my preaching over the years. People are looking to the wrong source for the answers. We have to look to Jesus for our answers. Because no matter what system is in place, because we are immoral, crime will be committed, injustice will be committed. No matter which political party is in place, there will still be crime and corruption because the heart of man is deceitful. And today we have to look to Jesus to change the hearts of people because that's where the change in society takes place. We have to see the world as God sees it and we have to see Jesus as God sees him, the savior of the world. As I move to a close today, I want to read to you a key text and then we'll wrap up in a couple of moments. 
when Jesus was traveling around with his disciples, he asked them who people perceived him as. How did they see Jesus? And in Matthew chapter 16, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do you see me as? Literally, he's saying. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Messiah, the one who came to save people from their sins whom the Jews were expecting. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, you didn't see this with your eyes, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What the Lord was saying here was, is when you get to see as he sees, that Jesus is the only answer to society's problems, that he is the savior of the personal sins of people, then that's the way the church will be built. When people realize who they are and who Jesus is, and they begin to see themselves and Jesus as God sees, then they will respond to him, and that's how the church will be formed. And then the church will see as God sees and train people in the way God sees by training them in righteousness. That's why we have church services, even services online, so that we can train you in the way you should see things from a biblical point of view. Before I close, R.C. Sproul says this. He says two things that every human being absolutely must come to understand are the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. These topics are difficult for people to face and they go together. If we understand who God is and catch a glimpse of his majesty, purity, and holiness, then we are instantly aware of the extent of our own corruption. When that happens, we fly to grace because we recognize that there's no way that we could ever stand before God apart from grace. The minute you get to get a glimpse with your spiritual eyes of who God really is and who Jesus really is. Then you begin to see yourself as you really are. Well, then you realize I could never match up. I could never meet God's expectation. I need his mercy. I need Jesus as savior. And he says, and then we fly to grace. We come to him. But guess what? We have to first see that. And that was the mission of the church. One more verse here. When the apostle Paul was called to preach, He wasn't called to preach social action. The Lord didn't say, I'm gonna call you and I want you to go to all the churches and I want you to raise money for widows and poor people because that's what the church is about. And I want you to get involved in environmental causes because we must look after the planet. No, no, he said, I want you to preach and this is what he told him. This is what Paul's mission would be and this is the mission of the church and my purpose today. He said to Paul, Paul, I want you to do this to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I want you to preach. And when you preach, they'll get to see who I am. They'll get to see who they really are. They'll then rely on me and they'll get my forgiveness and they'll get a place 
in the house of God and in eternity. I want you to go and preach that because when they see that, everything will change. You see, the big question today is, what do you see? Do you see as God sees? Because when you do, you're able to persevere through challenges. You're able to see beyond difficulties and temporal hardships. You're able to see beyond systems in the world and disappointments because you see as God sees. But when you see as God sees, you need to see his values. You need to see people as he sees them. People are not essentially good. And it's not just a reframing of our, of our systems to make our world a better place. No, we need heart change. That's why Christ came. And he came to change us. And when we see that, and we begin to see that he's the Messiah, then we become part of God's church. And we become of God, part of God's church. It's not just so that we can come and pray. No, it's so that we can come and be trained in righteousness and continue to see as God sees. I wanna pray with you today as I close. And if you're a Christian, I wanna encourage you, get into God's word and the more you read it, the more you'll see as God sees. Don't develop your own perspectives and don't just look with your natural eyes and assume that you're wise because you will have your own perspective, not God's perspective. If today you have begun to see as God sees and you realize, you know what? I realize who I am and I realize who Jesus is and I would like to embrace him as my savior, your life can change. Your heart can change. Your home can change. And that's why Jesus came. He came to change one life at a time, one home at a time, so we could change one community at a time, eventually one city at a time, eventually one country at a time. It's never external. It always starts in here when you see as God sees. Come pray with me today. And uh, whoever you are, you can join me in this prayer on the screen. Father, I thank you today that your word gives us illumination and it shows us how you see life and people and eternity. I pray, Lord, today that you'd open the eyes of my heart that I might see as you see. And I open my heart today that I might embrace the Savior of the world, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change me from the inside. Free me from my sinfulness and make me a child of God. Help me to see as you see so that I might make a difference in my world and honor and serve you. I give you my life today. Do everything that you want to in me and make me your child today. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 